So we are in the last week of our series on the book of Judges. We've been doing this for three months, and we've been going through, we're, we're going through it all. So we have three chapters left, and we're covering them all this morning. Here's kind of the picture of Judges. Judges is set in a time where the people of God, the Israelites, have been said, you have this land promised to you. You're supposed to go establish yourself in the land, drive out people that are around there so that you can establish yourself in the land and live according to my ways, and then everyone can see what that's like, which is very different than how all the peoples in that land are living. But instead of the people... Uh, influencing the, the groups that lived around them. They were influenced by the groups that lived around them. They often went to their idols. They worshiped their gods. They followed their ways. They would half, sometimes partially, still be hanging on to following the Lord, but mostly living like everyone else did and not following the Lord. And what would happen is that then those peoples would kind of take over them and God would send a judge, which not like a judge like we think of, a hero, a deliverer, a leader, a savior, someone who would come in and lead the people. The Spirit of the Lord would come on him, the Bible says, and then they would lead the people and set them free. And that would happen over and over again, but more and more and more, when they were set free, instead of getting reestablished and following the Lord, they just kept living like the peoples around them. So there are two conclusions in Judges. We looked at one of them last week. We're going to look at the second one this week. Here's how the, there's the verse that starts this conclusion. It's 19, verse 1, and it says, In those days Israel had no king. In those days Israel had no king. Those of you who were here or watched last week would know that was in there last week too. And then here's the very last verse, which was also in last week's verse, and the other conclusion to Judges. It says, in those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. These are the key verses to, for sure, the two conclusions, and probably to the entire book of Judges. Everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Everyone did as they saw fit. Now, as much as I really wanted to read to you, so you could see with yourself, exactly what it says in Judges, because I don't think you'll believe me. You can fact check me later. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell the story. I'm going to tell the story because it's like 80, 90, 100 verses or whatever. I'm going to say, here is how Judges ends. And then we'll pull some takeaways from this story and from the whole series uh, to conclude us. So it starts, in those days, Israel had no king. And just like last week, there was a story about a Levite. A Levite is the tribe, the people that were ministers to the Lord, that helped uh, people know how to worship God, to teach them about God, that kind of thing. So it's a story about a Levite again. This Levite had a concubine, it says. So like a slave. Now, it goes back and forth. Sometimes he's the husband. It's like it's his wife. Most of the time, it's a concubine. It's like a slave. That's what's, that's what's going on here. Now, a Levite should know you only have one wife. This is how it works from the very beginning, how God set it up. But that's not how he viewed it. So he had a, a woman that he had in mind one thing mainly. And she was unfaithful to him, it says, and then she left him and returned to her father's house. So he's living out in the country in the hills of Ephraim. She returns to Bethlehem, Judah, where she was originally. After four months, he decides to go back. And he's going to try to persuade her to come with. She gets to the house. He gets entered in. The father-in-law, his father-in-law, the father of the concubine, welcomes him. 
serves him food three days. He eats with him. He, they enjoy it. He's like, yes, this is good. You can take her back. This is good. And then day four, he gets up early in the morning. He says, we're going to take off. We're going to head back. Now I'm going to take her. We're going to go back. He's got his servant that he brought and his two donkeys, and now he's going to take her too. We're going to head back. And just stay for a little bit longer. Just stay for another meal. And they have a good time. And he's like, you know, it's getting late. Why don't you just spend the night again? And he does. And then the next morning, he said, okay, now I'm going to get out and leave. And he's like, ah, just stay a little bit longer. And he eats. And he gets to, and then, well, it's the afternoon. You should stay one more night. And the guy's like, no. No, this time I'm actually studying out. It is time for me to get back. So he takes his servant, his two donkeys, his concubine, and says, we're heading out. Now, as he heads out, the servant says, we got to find a place to stay tonight. We're not going to make it all the way back to the country. How about this, this place, Jebus, which is um, really going to, it's really Jerusalem, what we now know as Jerusalem, but that's not what they called it back then. Let's stay there. And the, the Levite was like, no way, we're not staying there. There's no Israelites there. There's no people that look like me there. There's no people that, that call on the name of the Lord there. There's no people like that there. We're not going to do, we're going to a different town. Let's go to Gibeah. So they get to Gibeah. The sun has set. It's dark. They get to the town square. No one comes to greet them. They don't, what are they going to do? Where are they going to stay? And then this old man comes, who also is from the country, the hills of, of Ephraim. And he comes out and he sees them. He says, what's going on? They say, hey, we got the stuff for our donkeys. We got bread and wine. We don't need anything. We just need a place to stay. And the guy's like, just please don't stay in the, in the town square. Come with me. Come to my house. And he feeds them and they're living it up and they're having a good time. And then things go bad. Some wicked men from Gibeah come to the door. They start pounding on the door, and they say, hey, let that guy you got with you, send him out. We want to have sex with him. Send him out. And the guy says, no, 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 no. Please don't do that. That would be dishonorable. Hey, here, I have a virgin daughter. He has a concubine. You use them and do whatever you want with them for the night. We'll give them to you. And you just do that, but just don't, don't do anything with this guy. It's read the Bible. This is in here. So then what happens is they just send out the concubine. The Levite just throws the concubine out there. They violate and abuse her all night long. She gets sent back to the door. She comes back to the door of the house, lays there uh, until morning. The Levite opens the door, sees her, and I quote, get up, let's go. She doesn't get up. He puts her on a donkey, gets back to where he lives, and by this time, she is dead. So he cuts her from limb to limb into 12 pieces, cuts up her body, sends it to all the 12 areas. There's 12 tribes, sends it to all the areas of Israel. When the people of Israel find out about this, when the word gets out, they are outraged about what happened. And they say, all right, let's all get together. They all come to Mitzvah. They, all, they send their leaders to Mitzvah. And they say, what are we going to do about this? This is awful. I can't believe that this happened. We've got to do something about this. And so they kind of say, you know what? We are going to deal with the men of Gibeah. We're going to deal with them. Now, Gibeah is like a town within the tribe of Benjamin. So like Marion County, Knoxville, but they're Iowans. So they send to the Benjamins, all the Benjamins, they say, hey, give us the people of Gibeah. We need to deal with the people of Gibeah. And the Benjaminites, though, say no. We aren't going to. So now the people of Israel, they get 400,000 fighting men. 
And they get ready and they say, all right, we're coming after it. The Benjaminites have 26,000 fighting men. They're ready and they're going to square off. And so here's what the Israelites do. The first thing they do is they say, okay, God, which of the tribes do you want to send? They say, okay, send Judah. Okay, we send out Judah and like 18,000, I can't remember which time. One time is 22,000, one time is 18,000. Of the Israelites die, the Benjaminites are like superpower fighters. They just slaughter a bunch of them. The Israelites come back, they weep, they pray to God, what's going on? And so, that, you know what, should we go? Go again. So then they send out another group. They just get annihilated. So now they've lost 40,000 fighting men. Now they come back, they're really weeping, they're really asking the Lord, and this time the Lord says, go and I will give them into your hands. And so they go. Now, in the Bible, it like gives the summary of what happens next. And then it's a little confusing because then it goes back and tells the same story but with extended details. So I'm just going to go right through with the details. I'm not going to tell it twice like the Bible does. So here's what happens. Before, the Benjaminites would always just start winning. This time, when they fought, they, they just kept pulled back. The Israelites started pulling back, and a bunch of them went around behind. They just kept pulling back. And the Benjamites, they've already killed 30 people. They think they're winning again. They're knocking around. And the Benjamites go behind, and they go to Gibeah, and they start killing everybody in the town. And they start setting on fire. And the Benjamites look, and they say, oh. And they start going back, but now they're surrounded, and now they just get annihilated. They are, they're just getting killed. Not only do all these fighting men get killed, but then the Israelites go to every city that's a Benjaminite city, and they kill everybody in it. They kill their animals. They set the place on fire. They completely destroy the Benjaminites except for 600 fighting men who find a place to hide. They kill everybody. When that's done, they are weeping. They are realizing we have a heritage from the Lord. We're supposed to be 12 tribes from our ancestor Israel. This is who we're supposed to be, and one tribe is about done. We have killed all the eligible women. Oh, and by the way, we've made an oath, an oath to the Lord that said we can't give any of our daughters to them in marriage. But they're not supposed to take daughters from, from foreign people. From other people, they're supposed to, from people that don't worship God. So they, they're stuck. They're never going to be able to reproduce. This tribe is over. What are we going to do? And they also took another oath, and this is what they remember. They said, okay, if anyone from Israel doesn't show up with representation after this concubine has been cut up and sent out, if anyone doesn't come, they'll be put to death. And so they asked, did anybody not come? And sure enough, there was a group of people that didn't come from Jabesh Gilead. They didn't come. So here's what they do. They go to that town. They kill everybody in that town except for virgin young women. And they take those women and they give them to the Benjaminites as wives. So now they can redo their tribe. But there's only 400 of them. There's 200 Benjaminites. So now what are we going to do? Now what are we going to do? Well, there's an festival in Shiloh, a festival to the Lord. So they say to the remaining Benjamites, here's what you do. Here's what you do. You go and you hide in the vineyards. And when the young women come out dancing, what you're going to do is you're going to come out and you kidnap them. And you take them to be your wives. And if the people start complaining and they come to us, we'll just say, hey, 
please do us this favor. We can't let Benjamin go, tribe go kaput. And you are in the clear because you didn't know it. And we're in the clear because we didn't give our, wife, our daughters knowingly. And so please may that happen. And so here is how the book of Judges ends. It ends in chapter 21, verse 23. It says, so that is what the Benjaminites did. While the young women were dancing, each man caught one and carried her off to be his wife. Then they returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and settled in them. At that time, the Israelites left that place and went home to their tribes and clans, each to his own inheritance. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. What are we supposed to take out of that? Now, what I've been saying in this series is that part of understanding judges is understanding the themes from the whole book. So what are some takeaways here in this story building upon what else has happened in this book? Here's takeaway number one. This is a condemnation of treating women as objects, as property. And this is actually quite stunning because of the time in which it was written. To us, it seems rather obvious that what happens in here is deplorable. I mean, a, a, a gal against her will is probably forced to be a concubine, returned to be a concubine. There's a guy who is, has, is, would rather have his daughter go out and be abused and violated all night than somebody he met a few hours ago having to be defended. It ends with the big solution being, hey, kidnap women, kill or kill their families and take these women, kidnap these women, they never see their families again. That's the picture. And for us, it's like, well, no. But back then, the peoples all around them, it was like, yeah. A lot of this was like, yeah. That's just how it was. There's a way in which some, if, if you listen to some people talk, leading thinkers talk, or read, read what they write, it, there's like this, let's get the shackles of Christianity off of us, where it's trying to tell us what to do. Let's get free. Let's get back to a time when we didn't have that, this religious oppressive systems over us, where we're socialized and conditioned to do these things. What they don't realize is, what are we going to get back to? Greek civilization Roman civilization, when women were treated like property. That's how it was. One of my favorite books of 2020 that I read is called Dominion. It's by a guy, Tom Holland, not the actor, different Tom Holland. He is a historian. He had written books on Persia and on Greece and, and some really good books that I read on, on Roman history. He grew up in the church. He grew up in the UK. He grew up in the church, and he found it stuffy and unhelpful and irrelevant and then he'd read like the, the things about Greece and Rome and Persia, and he would like come alive. But now, after decades of doing history research, he says, I had this rea reality. So he's an agnostic still. But I had this, I can't deny this. The things, the values that I hold dear about human rights, about 
women and how we treat them. And he, he lists thing after thing about what we do to help the vulnerable. That did not come from Rome. That did not come from Greece. That came from the church. That came from people following Jesus. They're the ones who started orphanages before they ever existed. They're the ones who started hospitals before they ever existed. They're the ones who valued women before they ever existed. And here we are in the book of Judges. And what have we learned? Right from the get-go, it talks about the first judge, Othniel, but it talks about his wife, Aska, and how she was the one who negotiated a deal with her father-in-law, who she was the one who had the vision and the foresight. She was the one with the wisdom. They were talking about a woman named in the Bible at that time. That's unbelievable back then. And we just go on. Deborah, probably the judge with, with no blemish, one of the judges with no blemish, Deborah, they came to her because she heard from the Lord, because she had courage, because she had faith, because she had wisdom, because she had insight. They came to her, and we just keep going. There's two women that are named that they're the ones who kill the evil person that comes against or the evil one that's trying to start a rebellion in a civil war. Even unnamed women, like Jephthah's daughter, what we see is her, even though it was her dad. Uh, being totally off the track in taking an oath to sacrifice her, saying, if it's good for the country, if it's good for the people, if it saves the people, then I will offer my life, like the picture of Jesus. Or Samson's mother, who hears from the angel of the Lord, who understands the revelation, who is the one, the husband doesn't quite get it. Samson doesn't follow the Lord, but Samson's mother gets it throughout Judges, What we see is women are valued. Women have something to offer. Women are come alongside, which is totally contrary to the culture of the day. It's remarkable that it's in here. It's subtle because it also alongside that shows the horrible way women were treated back then. And this is what happens when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. So does that have anything to do with us today? The people back then, they're all in uproar. How can, this, how can this happen? How could this happen to this woman? And yet their solution by the end of it was, we're going to kidnap 200 more women. They're missing it. They're still treating women like objects in this story. So we have a Me Too movement in which people are rightly saying, like, we cannot have this abuse, this violation, this use of power against women. That can't, that's no good. And at the same time, continuing to say, we are going to use sex to sell. We are going to put this, and don't you dare tell us that we should have boundaries around sex or that it's going too far. There should be any sort of censorship or anything like that. So there is a promotion of lust constantly in our society, a promotion of lust. What causes, what degrades, what brings sex to just, it's just a thing, it's no big deal, don't make such a big deal about it, you, you religious people. But we don't like the violations that come from the lust. Depersonalization is not a good thing. And that's what happens in our society around sex. That's what we see in this story. And we're in a society where everyone does what's right in their own eyes, especially about sex. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what not to do. And yet, what are the results for us? Okay. Takeaway number two. I have two takeaways. Condemning tribalism. 
tribalism. So we did not get much time to talk about this in the series because there was so much to cover. But Jason Henry, several weeks ago, talked about how when Gideon was on his way, there's a group of Ephraimites, and they're saying, hey, hey, why didn't you include us? And he used, he's diplomatic, and then he goes back, and then he says, hey, can you help? And they say no, and you, can you help? And they say no. And then when he comes back, what Gideon does is he burns a city and burns people alive, his own fellow Israelites, but from a different tribe. There's a way in which Jephthah, the one story left out in Jephthah is that the Benjaminites said, you should have let us help, and, they get him, and there's, they, he kills a whole bunch of his fellow Israelites. In the beginning of Judges, the tribes come together under the name of the Lord. Throughout Judges, think of Deborah and her story of who came and who didn't. There's this tension of the tribes being against one another. And now when there is loyalty to a tribe to the degree that it does not matter what is right. All that matters is we're together in this against the other. Bad things happen. So what happens here in this story that I just read? Well, some, it says some wicked men from Gibeah did this horrible thing. The Levite goes, and he, the way he tells the story when they ask him is he says, well, these guys were going to kill me, and then they raped my concubine. And then they say, well, we got to kill all the men of Gibeah. Now, for one thing, that Levite is not given a very clear indication of what actually happened. Like, well, I was in danger, and then they just took her. No, he just, like, did this. But he's all justified, and he's, he's caused everything to go viral. Okay, they did this, now the whole place. So how are we going to deal with some wicked people? We're going to kill them all. And instead of the Benjamites saying, like, yes, justice should be done to this group of people, they say, no, these are our people. Don't come at, no, you, you guys probably do the same kind of things, and it gets to back and forth. And so what is the result at the end? Because of one woman who was violated, at least 60,000 fighting men die, all kinds, more than that, women and children and older men are killed. And they don't even shift how to treat women. They just go kidnap 200 more women. But my tribe is right! So in our day, we see this often, where we will see the Republicans on an issue take it's, you know, it's confirmation or a trial or something. They're on an issue and they say, this is how it should be. And the Democrats will say, no, 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 this is how it should be. And then when the same situation is reversed, they all reverse sides, right? Think of impeachments or think of, they all reverse sides. Nobody is interested in what is right. They're interested in who will win. What is my side? Now, it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, those people in Washington, yeah, the people in Washington. But my, my experience interacting is that so often that's how we are. We're the same way. We are like the Levite where we'll take like, well, yeah, there may be a little bit bad, but what I'm going to talk about is what's bad about them, and I'm not going to talk about what's bad about me. And I'm going to justify somebody should do something about them. 
middle school, teenage world, what I see a lot with gals. So politics, be like, good, he's talking about politics. I don't care about politics. I'm, I'm free. I'm off the hook. How about what I see is I want to keep my friends. I want to be friends. I don't want to be alone. And so I need to attack another young girl to make sure that my girl... I don't want that girl to take my place. I don't want to lose my friends. So we're, this is how we're going to treat. Some, maybe some guys, middle school guys are a little clueless. I got a lot of, anyway, but girls, I mean, am I speaking the truth? Now, this happens, it continues to happen just in more sophisticated ways with us. So recently, family and, and friends are trying to figure out, there's a group of them. Are we going to do something together for spring break? And so the one is saying, like, oh, I think we should do this. And they start calling people to the, and they're like, oh, yeah, we should do this for spring break. And they're all kind of, and then the one group, the one friends didn't get in the initial conversation. And so they were still invited, but they were mad. So they got mad. And so then the people that were trying to make it work are like, how, man, how could they be like that? And then the plans changed. For spring break. And other conversations happened, and the people that were saying, how could they be like that, weren't in on that change. And they're like, how could we be left out? You know what? That is me. Tribalism. A lot of anger, a lot of anger, a lot of hard lines. And what you get is escalation. And so we're going to post on media. We're going to Snapchat this to people so that we look good, so that ours are good, so that they look bad. And what are the results? It's just damage. A whole generation of damage. We've, the things that are going on in the border right now, we got, it's all Trump's fault, it's all Biden's fault, it's all... Does anyone care about the people? I don't know what the answer is. I don't know whose fault it is, but there's a lot more energy in saying whose fault it is than saying, like, we have people who it's so bad that they will come or they will send their kids because it's so bad. And that, that's just down there. The, the refugee issue around the world is incredible. And I realize that any one person can't do something about it, but we're, like, callous to it. We'd rather say our opinion with a snarl then say, God, have mercy and help us. Tribalism. What we do in tribalism is we depersonalize groups. And we've built into our way of operating now is that what gets told to us is what we think. If I'm a white man, I'm a white man in age group here, this is how I would vote. This is how what I'm saying. This is my opinion poll. If I'm a Latina Woman, then this is what I will say. And so we get stereotyped, and everyone's told, like, this is it, and it depersonalizes. Oh, so all the African-Americans, they think like this. They're, they're against the police. All the, whatever. We, we need to get to know people. People. And Jesus didn't come with sweeping statements about this is how you should think. He came to people. He loved people. He said someone's name. He looked in their eyes. And the Pharisees, the religious people, had written people off like that. 
And Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm not writing off. This is why I came. So that would be a good... I'm about to the end of that story of the story. But since it's the end of the series, the series that we called You Be the Judge, I want to give a few summary statements about the series as a whole. You be the judge. How do we use this phrase, you be the judge? You can use it in different ways. So I want to talk about different ways that you could use this phrase that's instructive based on what we've talked about for 11 weeks. You be the judge is a warning. You be the judge as a warning. What do I mean by that? Well, how did, how did judges end? Judges ended with everyone doing as they saw fit. Everyone was their own judge. No one tells me what to do. Whatever I think is right, that is what's right. And that's it. So while the Bible is clear that we shouldn't be judgmental, the idea that everyone should just do whatever they want as long as it makes them happy is not following Jesus. And when we do that, not only probably do we decrease our ability to be happy, because if, if my focus all the time is, well, does it make me happy? Am I happy? Is it good? Do I feel happy today? Do I feel happy right now? Why am I feeling the way? I mean, I'm just not going to be happy. You be the judge. You do what's right in your own eyes. You do you. You do. Now, there's some truth to being authentic. But I've been saying for years, the gospel of our country, of Americans, statistically speaking, is that I need to be fulfilled, I need to do whatever makes me happy, including majority people in the church. That's not what this says. You be the judge is a warning. But you be the judge also could be seen as a challenge. The judges, the stories we looked at, were about people, one person, who could make an incredible difference and did for a group of people, sometimes for a whole generation, 40 years, there was peace in the land because one person would do it. So one person was the judge. One person, the Spirit of the Lord came on. One person operated with courage, and God used it. And he often used the most unlikely people, the people that they wouldn't have expected back then. You got Ehud, the left-handed one. He's not supposed to be the mighty warrior if he's got him, but he took what he had And he offered it to the Lord. And the Lord used him to change a whole bunch of people. So in our story today, there's one person. There's a Levite. And he knew there were frictions, there was tensions, there was all these things happening. And he poured gasoline on it. And he didn't take personal responsibility. And he encouraged anger. And there was destruction in the land like hundreds and hundreds of times over the original destruction, which was so awful. But in the other stories, of, there are other stories of judges where the person steps out and then people come back to the Lord. Now, the challenge is you can be that kind of person. You can be the one who says, I am going to stand for God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will operate with humility. I will operate with love. I will operate differently than what, the, what seems normal around me because I want to live completely for God and it change people's lives. And sometimes it's going to be some of the most unlikely people that God's going to use in the biggest ways. You be the judge. And finally, 
You be the judge of prayer. Judges ends. Judges is a picture of here's humanity without God. We violate one another. We get in fights with one another. We, we're, we're mean to one another. We destroy one another. That's the picture. There is one more judge to come. His name is Samuel. And Samuel is a good judge and helps turn hearts back to the Lord. And he ushers in the era of, king, era of kings. And Saul starts as a good king, and David ends up being a king after God's own heart. But even then, if you read it, there's all kinds of the same stories happening. There's still all kinds of ways where the people are missing the mark. There is only one judge who makes all things right. One leader, one savior, one deliverer, one king. And that is Jesus. And it hasn't changed. We need him. We need him to save and deliver. We need him to bring us together instead of being torn apart. We need Jesus. We need him. And there's a whole bunch of people who need him, and they're not even connected to their need for him. They aren't turning to him right now. And we are the ones that can say, you need Jesus. Let me love you with Jesus' love. I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you. We can be those kind of people. Knowing that we need him. You are our judge. You are our leader. You are our deliverer. So this week, we have a Good Friday service to remember we need a Savior. We need forgiveness. We need help. I need help. We have an Easter service where we can ourselves but also invite people in to say, here's who we have, here's who's come for us, here's who will save us. And instead of, again, instead of a people that in our tribalisms just tear each other apart, we could be different. We could be people that say, first and foremost is following Jesus, let's come together around him. Let's draw people in toward him. Let's pray. Teach us your ways, O Lord. Help us to walk in the truth of your paths, in what is good and right, in step with you. I pray, Lord, in the coming days, even this year, in the coming weeks, that your spirit would come on different ones of us to influence groups of people in a way that your gospel goes forth, in a way that goodness comes, in a way that people come to know you like they don't right now. May that happen. 
we say today, we need you. We need your forgiveness individually. We need your forgiveness as a church, as a community. We need your forgiveness as a nation. Would you have mercy on us? Would you deliver us from evil? Would you bring us together in ways that nobody sees coming, but that you've had in mind all along? We are looking to you. We are loving you. We are following you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.